This morning I'd like to talk for a little while about our practice here. Offer some key points for how to practice here. First, I'd like to just say a little bit about why we practice. You're all experienced students, so you have your own, your own reasons why you practice. And yet it's probably in the line of or have something to do with wanting to understand something about why we struggle, why we suffer. And so this is the purpose of our practice to understand our minds, to learn about our minds. Not so much to actively try to get rid of things that we don't like, but in the very learning, in the very understanding about our minds and how they work, wisdom grows. Wisdom helps us to uh, wisdom helps us to understand what's going on in our minds, and wisdom actually is what does the work of letting go. And so, the purpose of our practice is the the learning, the cultivation of understanding, and that understanding leads to wisdom. It's wisdom that helps our minds from uh, participating in its usual habits, patterns of fear, anxiety, confusion, greed, boredom, anxiety, all the different ways that we react and have reactive emotions. And this wisdom helps our minds to start to reorient from automatically heading in that direction to moving in a completely different direction, a direction based in love, in compassion, in generosity, in wisdom, in balance of mind. And so instead of having our minds in the service of creating greed and aversion and delusion, our minds begin to, through the support of the understanding and wisdom that grows, our minds begin to participate in creating peace and ease, compassion. And so in this style of practice that we'll be exploring, the style of practice I'll be sharing with you, the emphasis is a lot on getting familiar with our minds getting familiar with the ways our minds habitually moves into these reactive patterns and um, getting familiar with the ways in which our mind can participate in the creation of ease and peace instead of reactivity. And so the uh, emphasis on learning about the mind, because this is where the stress happens, this is where the suffering happens, and this is where the orientation towards happiness, ease, happens. The first verses of the Dhammapada, all experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So this is our exploration to look at the mind. We're not going to be able to simply, in the recognition of, oh, this is, uh, this is greed, or this is confusion, or this is anger, or this is anxiety, we're not going to be able to just say, oh, that's not so helpful, let me stop doing that. And so, so much of our work lies in the understanding of our reactive states, opening to those, witnessing them, watching how they work, 
And through that process, wisdom grows and wisdom begins to change the direction of the mind. So in this practice, we will open, be opening to all aspects of our physical and mental experience. And the tool, the, the primary uh, practice is a receptive one, that is of simply settling back and opening to what the attention is already aware of, where the attention already is, rather than choosing where to put the attention. This is a difference between directing the attention, choosing, for instance, to say, let me pay attention to the breath right now. Let me pay attention to the experience of hearing right now. That would be directed attention, choosing where to place your attention. Receptive attention is more about settling back and basically noticing where the attention is already. In both cases, the factor of attention is working. It's just a matter of whether we are involved in actively choosing where that attention is. So this receptive attention is uh, a, a big part of learning about our minds because as we settle back and simply receive where the attention is, we are learning about our habits of mind, where our minds tend to direct the attention. And so we'll explore that aspect of mindfulness and also the aspect of looking at our attitude, our relationship to experience. All of this is really helpful to be grounded in relaxation, as I said last night, as I emphasized in the opening last night. Relaxation of body, relaxation of mind are very supportive for basically opening to and allowing this receptive attention. When we relax the body and relax the mind and aren't actively choosing what to do with it, we'll discover that the mind does stuff anyway. It's not like when we relax that the mind suddenly turns off. It might get drowsy, (laughs) but at the same time, there's still awareness happening. And so relaxation, relaxation of body supports the mind relaxing and then that relaxed mind can very naturally receive experience. And so we will begin much of the, um, I'll encourage beginning of the retreat particularly to start your sittings or at least parts of the day with consciously relaxing, consciously relaxing the tension in the body and consciously re- relaxing what attention, what tension you can in the mind, and then seeing once that relaxation is available, what happens? Where is the mind at that point? What is the mind noticing at that point? As we go on in the week, it can be helpful rather than necessarily consciously always relaxing tension to um, recognize, oh, there's tension there. There's tension in the body. And see what happens over time as we uh, allow the awareness, the mindfulness to meet the tension. As the week goes on, or as the practice As the practice settles in, often we find that as we just simply recognize, oh, there's tension, very naturally the mind and body will move to relax it. And we don't have to do that so much anymore. So the the Buddha's instructions for us in our practice, he offered the Eightfold Path and um, He oriented us with right view and right intention and um, then asked us to explore, understand our actions in our daily lives and then cultivating our minds in meditation. So I'd like to explore these three 
samadhi factors, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration, and how they work in this practice. They may work in a slightly different way if you're used to a more focused practice. So I just like to explore a little bit with you about how these factors work. So first, mindfulness. Again, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, the practice we're going to be working with is primarily receptive. And so this is a difference for some people that uh, if you're used to sitting down and choosing, okay, I'm going to pay attention to the breath. Oh, the mind wanders off. Let me come back to the breath. And using the directing of the attention as a way to cultivate the stability of awareness. This practice may feel a little bit unsettled at first because we are not choosing to direct the attention. Instead, we, we are choosing to recognize awareness. Are you aware? Right now, are you aware? Do you know that you're aware? Probably if you're listening, the answer is yes. Now you may not be so clear about how you actually (laughs) know you're aware or what the experience of awareness itself is, but there is often this just, you can just say, yes, I know I'm aware. To start with, that's enough. Just know that you're aware. Over the course of the the two weeks, we're going to keep coming back to this experience a lot and beginning to recognize awareness itself. As we begin to recognize awareness itself and know, oh yeah, awareness is here right now. As As we begin to recognize that, that becomes our, kind of our touchstone. It does not matter so much what is happening in awareness, what attention is paying attention to, that doesn't matter so much. What matters is that we are aware, that we know we're aware, and that there's this cultivation of this stability of the awareness itself. And so the first thing we check in, are, we, are you aware? Are you aware? As you begin to check in about that, over time, just checking in about that question. Am I aware? Yep, okay, yep, know that. <laughs> you don't have to like try to figure out how you know that or what it means. Just, just start to recognize, yep, know that I'm aware. Over time, that experience becomes clear. It, it starts to become more available, more uh, kind of tangible in a way. We begin to clearly recognize, yes, this is awareness. And so then, once we clearly know that we're aware, noticing what awareness is aware of. It will always be aware of something. We always have awareness and some experience happening together. You won't have one without the other. Sometimes the... um, the experience there in awareness is kind of diffuse or not so clear. But that, that is simply a diffuse experience, not that there is no experience happening. When there's awareness, there's an, there's an experience or an object. So there's an object and the awareness of it. So are you aware? And what are you aware of? The range of experience is the entirety of our mind-body processes, the range of possibilities there, the six sense doors, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and anything happening in the mind. Feelings, thoughts, emotions, mind states, moods, everything ranging from boredom and uh, confusion to bliss, concentration, balance of mind, from little flits of images of thoughts. All of these are are activities of the mind, things in the mind. And so, we are aware, and what are we aware of? So just noticing that, that's the mindfulness aspect of this practice. 
we notice both the objects of experience and the awareness itself. And as in a little while, I'll also explore, we'll talk a little bit about the how or the attitude. That's often in how we are aware. That, that, that attitude is kind of in that uh, how we are noticing the, the awareness itself. Then the aspect of effort. This is an area, how we make effort, how we choose to stay with our experience, know what's happening, how we choose to kind of engage with the practice is a really um, important place to pay attention because so often our, uh, our greed or our aversion creeps into the way that we make effort. It's very helpful to keep track of how we're making effort and uh, explore making effort in a very light, relaxed way. So right now, do you notice this experience of your hands? Can you notice that? How about the sensations of your feet or your legs as they're touching the floor? with the sensations of your lips touching together. How hard is it to know those experiences when I named them? Most often, it's not that hard. You just, I, I name a, your hands right now. There, your attention is right there. So it doesn't actually take a lot of effort to just be aware for a moment where we, what it is more difficult is to learn how to sustain that attention over time, to learn how to have a continuity of that attention, of that awareness. This is where we often bear down or tighten or try to uh, gear up our effort is in the sustaining of the attention. I know that I used to sit down and it'd be like, okay, 45 minutes. Hmm. And I'm going to do this. 45 minutes, right. Uh, it'd be like I'd try to pick up the whole 45 minutes at the very start of the sitting. Say, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather that energy and I'm going to do it. And we kind of think about uh, making effort like, you know, like we, can, like we can gather it all up at the beginning and get ready to do something with it. Rather, in the practice, a very gentle, persistent effort. Like It doesn't take that much effort to be present for a moment and then do it again. And then do it again. Just that enough, just that much effort, just, just enough for a moment. And then again, and again and again, and again. So it doesn't actually take a lot of effort to make this continuous mindfulness. What often happens there is that the mind thinks about, I have to do this again, and again, and again, and again. It's like even just thinking about that, our minds like get exhausted thinking that we're going to have to do that over and over and over and over again. That's just, that's just our minds making up stories that it's going to be exhausting. Actually, this very gentle, persistent, light touch of effort. We do need some level of energy to make effort, but we all have that. Right? We're all sitting here. There's the energy of life. Here it is. If we, if we are awake and sitting up, there is enough energy to be present for a moment and enough to do it again and again and again. And that kind of effort, that light touch of effort, generates energy, generates dharma energy. It doesn't use it up. We think that making effort 
uses up energy. And it does if we use it, if we do it in that familiar way. But this different way, this light touch, rather than using it up, actually builds the momentum, builds the energy. And so part of our practice is how we engage with this light touch of reminding ourselves, basically reminding ourselves to be aware. The very first instruction Sayadaw Uteshaniya gave to me, the only work you give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. The only work you give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. Am I aware? Am I aware? Moment after moment. That's our work. And the the tuning of the effort has to do with how frequently we remind ourselves to be aware. I like to use this analogy of um, riding a scooter. Those of you who've sat these retreats will have heard this a number of times. Um, the little, the little kick scooters, you know, the ones that kids ride, the, the ones you have to tap your foot on the ground. So to start those, you know, starting from a standstill, you have to put your foot on the ground and tap, 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 tap. You could put your foot on the ground and push really hard once and then kind of go, but that does not create a very stable movement. You know, that really hard push might be a little bit wobbly. But a little gentle tap, 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 you can balance and get the momentum going with that tapping. And then after a while, you get a sense of the feeling of the momentum. And you can stop tapping so much. You know that you can ride for a while. And then you notice, you start to notice when the scooter gets a little wobbly, you put your foot down and tap a few more times. The effort in our mindfulness practice is very like that. We remind ourselves to be aware, at the beginning reminding ourselves frequently. Kind of, it, it, it can come through a conscious aware, what's obvious? Actually using little uh, thoughts in the mind to help you stay present. Am I aware? Or just aware? Aware of what? You could use a little bit of prompting in the mind that way to help you uh, make that light touch of effort. But as the time goes on, you can let that go and just recognize there's a kind of a way in which we can just know that we are aware. Just kind of a little bit of intention to connect. It's more of an intention to connect with the experience. And so at the beginning, we have to remind ourselves frequently. But then we might start to get a sense or a familiarity with what it feels like to actually have a little bit of momentum going of that uh, sense of awareness. Like, yeah, like right now. Kind of coast, I can kind of coast. Not needing to make a lot of active effort. So we can get familiar with that feeling of like the momentum of the scooter and know when it's time to just gently reconnect, remind again. So the, uh, the effort in the practice has to do with this light touch, moment after moment, and learning how much we make that light touch and when we can back off from it. In this exploration, you are going to either be reminding yourselves too much or not enough, it's a, it's, a, it's a learning process. It's a trial and error. We learn for our minds, for the, for the conditions. It is constantly changing. It's never going to be just, ah, oh, okay, this is how much I have to remind myself to be aware. Because with that, you know, if you, if you get into a good rhythm with it, then the momentum builds and then you don't need to remind yourself as much. And then sometimes you coast for a long time and actually kind of go coasting out into space and lose touch. So we just have to, to watch and notice our minds where we are actually here. 
So this combination of the mindfulness and the effort, the gentle persistence of the mindful attention, those two together create concentration. Many of us are familiar with the concentration that comes from staying with a single experience, turning to the breath and just staying with the breath over and over and over again. That creates a lot of stillness in the mind. It, it, uh, it, it stabilizes the mind, not only the awareness, but it stabilizes the experience. It stabilizes the object so that not only does the, the awareness get very stable, but it tends to create situations or tends to create experiences where the objects also get very quiet. And so the whole experience can feel very still, very peaceful. With the style of practice that we're orienting towards here, and this is not a judgment on, on any of the other styles of practice. This is just the practice that I'm offering. I have found to be incredibly useful in my own, in my own practice. In this style of practice, rather than allowing the, the attention to stabilize on one experience where things become more and more still, instead we open to a changing show. And so while the awareness can become more still and stable, that the awareness itself becomes stable, what we are noticing can be quite dynamic. And so if you're unfamiliar or if you're more familiar with the kind of concentration style of practice where things get still, this can be a little unsettling. And it can feel like, well, this cannot possibly be meditation because like, the mind is everywhere. I'm noticing a sight. I'm noticing a, a body sensation. I'm noticing an emotion. I'm noticing a another body sensation. Oh, there's a breath. and then And then there's another sound. And it's like, the mind's all over the place. How can this possibly be right? Again, the, the, what we're looking at or what we're cultivating is the stability of the awareness. And that stable mind can meet a changing flow of experience. Typically or often in a changing flow of experience, there'll be something in that flow. The sound of a motorcycle, for instance, going by, where the mind kind of gets hooked by that and, and you know, either latches onto it out of greed and thinking, oh, that my motorcycle is going down to the beach. I wish I could be going down to the beach. And then we're, we're off at the beach in our thoughts. So we tend to, um, we, we can get caught by any one of those experiences. And so this is, again, the learning are we actually able to stay present in that flow without having the mind kind of get hooked on any one of them and just be here for them? Just notice, oh, sound, pressure, breath, thought, confusion, pressure, just over and over. What am I aware of? What, aware of what? aware of what. If you can maintain that, that's the basic, the basic tool, the basic tool of the practice. And the mind will wander. It will get hooked by these events. And this is what, when I said last night, this is like your mind 101. Because we are not restricting or narrowing down the field of attention, we're, and we're open to the whole range of experience, we will tend to see where our minds get hooked. We will see that certain sounds tend to take us out into aversion or greed, or we'll notice certain smells do this, or we'll Notice uh, thoughts and emotions that tend to hook us. Habits and patterns of mind. And so this practice, when we notice that, when we notice, oh, the, the mind kind of getting hooked by something, we recognize, okay, that's, that is part of the practice. Okay, there is a sound and I don't like it. This is where the attitude comes in. 
So we recognize as we're exploring this flow of experience what our relationship to the experience is. Initially, it's helpful to consciously check in from time to time. I would say on occasion at first. What's my attitude? What's my relationship to the experience? I wouldn't do it every experience. Like, oh, sound, what's my attitude? Body sensation, what's my attitude? If you're kind of in the flow of being aware of just this changing sense of experience, it's not like you have to check your attitude for every single object that's happening. Just from time to time, step back and check in. Like, you know, you're in this flow of experience and then, you know, say every five minutes, you know, check in. What's my relationship to, to noticing all of this stuff happening? You might check in and recognize, wow, it feels very confusing to be noticing all of this flow of, okay, so confusion, that's a part of what we notice. So checking our attitude, checking our relationship to experience, as we do that, open up to what's the relationship to experience. There's likely to be one of four basic flavors in the mind. There's always going to be some kind of an attitude, whether we can recognize it or not, It will either have the flavor of greed, of wanting something, wanting to hold on to something, leaning into something. It will have the flavor of aversion, of wanting to get rid of something, to fix it, to change it, to make it go away. It will have the flavor of delusion, which might be um, confusion or boredom or disconnection. Delusion's actually pretty complex. I'll go into delusion in some, in some days. We'll talk a little more about the ways delusion comes into, into the mind. Or the fourth basic flavor of attitude is basically balance of mind. Okay with what is happening. Calm, ease. So checking in from time to time, oh, am I aware? What am I aware of? As you check then the attitude, what's my relationship to experience? As you check that, you may or may not notice anything obvious. You may not notice anything particular. If not, you don't have to go digging. It's just kind of step back and see, is there something here that I haven't been noticing? So just take it, just very, for a moment, just step back. Oh, what's my relationship to what's happening? If you don't notice anything in particular at that point, just continue. Oh, okay, aware of what? Aware what's obvious. Just continue with that. Sometimes it will be blindingly obvious. You're paying attention to something and you check your attitude. It's like, yeah, I don't like that. Okay, there's a version. So when you notice an attitude, if you clearly notice an attitude, just recognize, yep, there's a pain in the knee and not liking is happening. You don't have to do anything in particular with it. Just recognize that that flavor of aversion is present. As you notice that, you may start to notice how it's coloring other things in your mind. You might recognize that Oh yes, there's aversion in my mind. And almost because of that aversion or with that aversion, the mind is orienting to look for other things it doesn't like. So we just start to see how does this attitude influence our experience. So we might or might not notice an attitude. Reasons for that could be that the attitude is a kind of subtle just a little like little hint of greed or aversion that's just kind of quiet and not very obvious. Or it might be that the attitude is one of balance of mind, of ease, of calm, and that we're just not so familiar with recognizing that as an attitude of mind. And so if you, if you 
don't see an attitude you could try on, well, is calm here? Is the mind feel okay right now? Is this like no problem? Is that what's happening? No problem is an attitude, a skillful attitude of mind. No, no problem. This is, so you could try, if you, if you check for an attitude and don't notice one, you could try that on. Is no problem my, the attitude here? So we're ultimately looking for or exploring how to observe with a perspective of no problem, with a perspective of what Saito Utejanya calls wise attitude or right attitude. This is a, an attitude of mind. It's an attitude in the observing mind that is Basically, it allows us to be at ease with whatever is happening. It really is the no problem mind. Whatever happens, oh, that too, that too can be included. Surrender mind, allowing mind. We are not going to be able to simply find our way to no problem mind by deciding, I'd like this to be no problem. The way we find our way to no problem mind is by recognizing where the mind thinks there is a problem, by recognizing the problemizing that happens, recognizing the the way that we, oh, that's a problem, I don't have that, I want more of it. Oh, that's a problem, I want to get rid of that. Fix it, change it. Oh, it's a problem, I'm so bored with this. By getting familiar with the ways that our mind is not content, that very exploration kind of takes us in a a step in the direction of contentment. Sounds a little bit odd, but we can actually recognize, oh yeah, there's this pain and I don't like it. And when we actually recognize that, it's been kind of startling to me at times. It's like, yeah, oh, right, that's what's going on. I don't like this. Okay, oh, not liking is happening. It's not a problem that not liking is happening. It's just not liking. Right there, there is wise attitude, non-problemizing about knowing that not liking is happening. And so we, we begin to explore our struggled relationships. When Saito Utejaniya, and when I give you the books, you'll see him use the term wrong attitude uh, for this. We get to know right attitude by getting really familiar with wrong attitude. And as we get familiar with wrong attitude, we discovered that as wrong attitude becomes exposed, as we recognize, oh right, not liking is happening right now, as it becomes exposed, it like moves from being in out the way that we're observing to just being another thing in the field being known. And so it's like it moves out of the way that we're, that we think about, you know, attitudes as being colored lenses we're looking through. And when we're looking through them, if we've got blue lenses on, we're seeing everything with this blue tint. And we're maybe unaware that we're seeing things blue. But we can become aware, oh, well, is there, is there a relationship? Oh, yeah, there's this blue relationship. That's kind of like taking, taking those glasses off and looking at them rather than through them. And then we can recognize, oh, yeah, that, those blue glasses, there they are. Yeah, okay. And so we can know that. We can know that attitude with a mind that is more balanced, more at ease. And so, you know, sometimes term these um, uh, reactive mind states hindrances. You know, they hinder our ability to really stay present in a balanced way. Greed and aversion tend to hinder our ability to stay present in a balanced way. And yet when they are known, clearly recognized, 
with mindfulness. They're no longer in the way. They're no longer hindering us. But they are actually become the ground, the compost, out of which mindfulness grows. And the last piece I'll just mention or check into is um, wandering mind. And the mind wanders off into thought. This will happen, and for those of you unfamiliar to this practice, it will feel like this happens more. And I think in a shift of practice that, that it can happen. That uh, because you're not so familiar with the practice, the, mindful, the mind can wander a little bit more. Patience with that. It's a little bit of a, a shift, perhaps. Again, just check in. Am I aware? Am I aware? Sometimes when we recognize or when we start to have the experience of knowing, oh, sound and body sensation and thought and emotion and body sensation, just kind of a, a flow of experience, it feels like the mind is wandering around because we're used to kind of having it be still on one particular experience. But check the awareness. Are you aware of all of these different experiences? But the mind will wander. You'll actually lose awareness. And you will wake up into a thought at some point. At that point, that moment when you recognize your mind has been wandering, right there, that's a really important moment. Right there, mindfulness is back already. Awareness has returned. Mindfulness has returned all by itself. You didn't have to do anything. You were, your mind was minding its own business, doing its own thing, wandering into the past or the future, and boom, mindfulness is back. So that moment when you recognize that mindfulness is back is a key moment to get familiar with the possibility of a truly effortless mindfulness. Because in that moment, you didn't have to make any effort for that mindfulness. It just happened. And so getting familiar with that moment, that moment also is the moment of really awareness returning. And that as awareness returns, that's a really great time to begin to get familiar with what awareness actually is. Because there is a little bit of a distinction or a little bit of a kind of sense, perhaps, of the difference between the mind that is clearly present right now, aware right now, and the mind that was lost a few moments ago. In that moment, you can have a, a, a better sense of what awareness actually is. And so can you be curious about that moment of mindfulness returning? As opposed to having the relationship with, of something like, oh, mindfulness was lost, that's a problem. It's like, well, you, don't, you can't do anything about it when the mindfulness is lost. In the moment that mindfulness returns, if you can just be curious about, oh, what's that like? What's that like? As opposed to judging the fact that the mindfulness was gone for a few moments. The curiosity about what mindfulness is like. That for me, what, what is this re-arising of awareness? Just that curiosity really helped for me to cut through the uh, judging mind around the mind getting the mindfulness getting lost, because you know, Joseph gave me that instruction. Notice the difference between the mind that's lost and the mind that's aware. And that was an ideal moment to look at that. And so it's like my mind got lost fifty times during a sitting. Gave me fifty opportunities to look at that re-arising of awareness, to get familiar with that quality. Really help, helpful in terms of not judging the, the wandering mind. So when you notice, mindfulness returns, notice what you have become, there, there's the awareness arising, and there's something that you're aware of in that moment. It might be a thought, it might be an emotion. Just notice what the awareness has returned into in that moment. If you feel like there's a pull 
out of the present moment, like, like, oh, that thought is so seductive. Ooh, I just really want to follow it. If you notice that there's a kind of a pull, hard to let go of that, that's a time when it can be useful to consciously choose, direct your attention, pick something in the present moment. Could just be some obvious body sensation, might be the breath. Just pick something to just to remind yourself, right, the intention here is to stay present. But then you don't have to hold on to that. You know, just just connect with that for a few moments. And then as you start to notice other experiences coming into awareness, you just allow that. So um, what I'd like to do now, um, rather than doing a little bit of a guided meditation, uh, what I'll do, um, apologies for those of you in the kitchen, but I'll do a little bit of a guided meditation at the next sitting. Um, And uh, so that'll give you a little bit of a flavor for uh, using this in formal meditation sitting practice. We did it last night, some too, so. Um, But what I'd like to do now, we have about 13 minutes, so I have a few announcements, and I want to talk a little bit about walking, because that's what we're moving into, is the walking practice. I'm going to recap the basic instructions. Am I aware? What's obvious? From time to time, check your attitude, check your relationship. The work is in the gentle, persistent, reminding yourself to be aware. Those are the instructions. There's no change in the instructions for walking practice. There's no change in the instructions for kitchen practice. There's no change in the instructions for practice when you're brushing your teeth, lying down and going to bed. It's the same practice. Am I aware? What what am I aware of? Light touch of effort. That said, practicing with our eyes closed in the meditation hall kind of limits our objects to some extent. We're still, our bodies are more still, our eyes are closed, so we're pretty much looking, feeling the touch sense of the body and things in the mind, sounds. Those three sense doors are predominant in sitting meditation. When we move into walking practice, when we move into kitchen practice, when we move into eating practice, eating practice, eating practice has all six senses at the same time. All six senses are engaged. As we move into those other practices, we need to start to explore how to to stay present with the uh, wide range of sense experience. And so this practice, walking practice a little more formal, a little more structured than um, kitchen practice or... um, toilet cleaning practice or whatever <laughs> your, your yogi jobs are. Uh, the walking practice is a little more structured. Um, but these practices really help us to learn and to understand how to carry this awareness just into our lives, into the world. The instructions going home, the same. This practice is no different on or off the cushion. No change to the instructions. And you will be surprised, perhaps, some of you, at just how much you can see just using this very simple practice in in all activities and how settled the mind can get also in stillness. As you're sitting in the still posture with your eyes closed, this practice tends to move towards more stillness because the body is still. So concentration of what we normally think of as concentration can also begin to arise in the sitting practice with this practice. So working with 
um, multiple objects, working with a broader range of objects in the walking, in the kitchen. Um, very helpful in particular to begin to explore what it means to be aware while seeing and hearing. Go out into the uh, walking. Seeing becomes really predominant. Some of the other forms of meditation, we kind of restrict our vision and keep our feet really, keep our attention really grounded on the feet. In this style of practice, we're not, we're not encouraged to do that. It is just, what am I aware of? Am I aware? What am I aware of? To begin this, I would encourage you to start as we do similarly, like we did last night in the guided meditation. We started with relaxation of body. In the walking, it can be helpful to begin with finding a pace that feels relaxing. So walk, find a pace that feels comfortable. Find a pace where your body can feel at ease. And then in that um, pace, then begin to check in. Oh, what, what am I natural? What's the mind naturally aware of? There's probably going to be some, the movement is another big activity in the walking, the feeling of the body moving. So the movement of the body may be obvious. The contact of the feet on the ground may be obvious. The swinging of the arms, sights, sounds also may be obvious. So can you just keep that gentle attention? Oh, aware of what? Aware of what? That steady, gentle action of knowing that you're present. In the um, field or the terrain of seeing, one extremely helpful practice, and also in hearing, one extremely helpful thing to notice. It's not so much a doing here. A, a lot of the instructions... It may sound like I'm saying, do this or do that, but actually it's more, you might notice this. The instructions are more in that flavor. You might notice this happening. And so while you're walking, you might begin to notice the distinction between when the um, uh, mind is aware, when the awareness is happening, just in a general way around seeing, kind of a receptive quality of seeing, and when the, um, the attention goes to look at something. So just noticing that. Is there just a kind of sense of generally just taking in, seeing? And then, you know, a bird flies by and boom, you're looking at that bird. It's not a problem. You don't have to not look at the bird. But just notice that the attention has moved from seeing to looking. When that happens, if we don't notice that, if we don't notice the movement from seeing to looking, that movement is where the mind tends to wander out and get lost. It's, if you didn't notice, oh, seeing, oh, look at that, boom, the mind goes right to the bird, you might automatically start thinking, oh, what kind of bird is that? Oh, I think I see a little bit, and boom, you're gone. So noticing, seeing to looking. Hearing to listening, likewise. Are you in this flow of just noticing sound? Or does the attention kind of pick up some sound and get curious about it? Oh, what's that sound? That sound, that sound in the distance, it sounds like some chainsaw. What's going on? Hearing to listening. If we don't notice that movement, we tend to follow the chain of thoughts. So that's a really helpful thing that we can begin to become aware of. And this is kind of in the same terrain of noticing um, uh, in our meditation, you know, when the mind is more in a receptive mode and when it starts to more actively go out and look at things. When, when the attention is more receptive and when it's more directed. And so starting to get familiar with that through seeing and hearing. So if there's anything else I want to say about walking. I think that's pretty much it. Just, you know, again, aware, 
What am I aware of? From time to time, check in. What's your relationship? You could, you could look at this too as how is what you're noticing, how is what you're experiencing impacting you? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Does it make you happy, delighted? Sometimes out in walking, in the, in the terrain of walking, we can get very joyful in seeing nature. And so just noticing the joy, noticing the delight that can happen too. Just being aware of all of it. So I'm not going to take questions now. I would like you to play with it. The whole practice I feel like is really about play. Just play with exploring these tools that I've offered. This afternoon at the Dhamma offering time, there will be a time for questions in the hall. And so if you have questions, and, and I encourage you to come with questions, that's what the Dharma offering is going to be. I'm not going to have a talk prepared, so it's going to be responsive. And so after spending um, you know, several hours the day going through formal practice and the meal and some more formal practice, hopefully you'll have some, um, some sense of how it works, but also perhaps some questions about, uh, that you might have about the practice. And a few announcements. So, um, Sally, for the 1015 sitting today, you need to go ahead and ring the bell, but I'll be sitting up here giving a guided meditation so you don't have to be the practice leader today. Um, then, um, just to reiterate, I don't think we mentioned this last night, there are hearing-assisted devices that are available out in the vestibule. If you're having trouble, if I'm not so clearly audible to you, you could use try the hearing-assisted devices. The amplification um, system uh, goes directly to those hearing-assisted devices. Um, there's a few bits of... Um, paraphernalia out there to support you in the sitting. Some of those include, a couple of you have these um, these little gray squares. Uh, if you find your, your legs dangling or that you're not quite so comfortable sitting in a chair, you're welcome to use those to put your feet up on, to prop your feet up on. Do wash your hands regularly. We are in close quarters, um, and so washing our hands regularly or using the hand sanitizer before the meal. We um, have that little sink right there with the hand sanitizer right there, so please do use the hand sanitizer or wash your hands before you serve yourself. This is probably the best way to keep the community healthy. There's some extra chairs if, I think there's a lot of extra chairs here since the retreat's so small, but it's possible, especially during the Dharma offering time, that maybe they'll, they'll, the chairs will be full. There are some of those folding black chairs available in the fire closet just next to the water fountain outside um, the meditation hall, so you're welcome to bring some of those in if you, if you wish, if all the other chairs are, are taken. And then I just like to remind you about using not using scented products. I can smell something from up here, so, so there is a scent here. So I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I, I do. I'm experiencing a scent. So please take care with scented products. Check your products. See if it says it may say unscented on the product, but have a masking fragrance. And that masking fragrance can be very triggering for someone who has a, a chemical sensitivity. Or it may, be an, it may say fragrance-free, but have not have the ingredient fragrance, but have highly scented natural ingredients. And so the best thing to do is to just give it a whiff, see if you can smell it. Sometimes if you've used a product a lot, you may have um, developed a sensitivity to, or you, know, you may not notice the smell so much. So you could ask the managers to give it a whiff, <laughs> see if they, if they can smell it. And please do not use scented products and use the products that we offer um, here to help keep the community um, safe. So we have 45 minutes for walking, practicing this first really in the walking, which I think is kind of great because it 
shakes up the idea that sitting is where it's happening. So enjoy your walk, and we'll see you at 10.15 for a guided meditation here.